This morning we have the children in the service here with us, and we are glad to have them to, to join us. So we have a few uh, things that are just a little bit different while we, uh, while we have that going on. Thank you very much. We're going to start off here with a scripture reading. If you want, you can just stay running up here. Lissy has a, a scripture reading. This is a scripture, and it actually goes before what we're getting into today, but it's important for you to know some of the things that came before. So she's going to read this for us, so we have this on our mind. Luke 4, 16 through 22. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious word, words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Thank you. That is something as with the passage reads to us is something that was Jesus' habit. When he would go into a town, he would read this scripture. And in fact, it says in the Bible, we haven't taught on this in a little while, I'm just going to give you a real brief part on this, because it's important to know, this is what Jesus would do. It says he was handled the scroll, and he would find the place. That's not normal. In Jewish life, what they would do is they would hand the scroll, and the scroll is open to where they left off. Because you don't have a Bible at home, and you don't have an app on your phone. If you want to read the Bible, you come down to the synagogue. Because Bibles are expensive. They're scrolls. They're not books. They're scrolls. And they cost a lot of money to have one. And so they would invest in one for each of the synagogues. And so if you wanted to hear the word, you would come down to the synagogue. They would do this on a regular basis. It wasn't just on the Sabbath. They would come on in and they would unroll the scroll and they would read and then get up to the next spot. And then they would read some more. And so Jesus is handed the scroll. As his custom was, he found the place where it was written. Don't skip over that. He found the place where it was written. So it didn't matter where this synagogue had left off last time. He would find the place where it was written and he would read this. Now that's not the only thing about this passage that's, that's, uh, that can jump, that can not be right in your face. The other thing about it is, and you wouldn't see this unless you made a comparison. This is a quote. He is reading a in the New Testament here. It is a quote from the Old Testament. But Jesus is reading. If you go back to the passage, if you look in your margin, it will give you the reference for where to go. Do this at home sometime. Go back and look at what the prophet wrote and then look at what Jesus said. He changed it. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Oh, that got their attention. 
You see, they know this passage well because they're looking for Messiah to come because they know Messiah, when He comes, He's coming in power. He's going to be the King. He's going to come and He's going to heal people. Miracles are going to be done. They're looking for Messiah to come. They know this is about the time He's supposed to come according to Daniel's prophecy. They know this is about the time. And when they're seeing Jesus find the place in the scroll and then He reads it and He changes some of the words. Why are you changing those words? What do you mean the Spirit of God is upon you? That got their attention. So, when you read this over, that's why it says all the, everybody was fixed on them. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? We've been starting a series last Sunday looking at the miracles of Jesus. The healing miracles of Jesus specifically. We've covered before, we've gone through all the miracles, but we're specifically going through the healing miracles because we can use a shot in the arm to understand some things about healing. And the things that are in the, in the Bible about healing are important for us. Now, we started last week in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and I am going to go through this and try and figure out exactly where it comes in the thing. It is in the beginning of his ministry, but towards the latter part of the beginning. It was not the first miracle he did. It was not the first healing miracle he did. Now, when we get into, into this part, we'll get into some of the early miracles that are recorded. The nobleman's son is actually one of the earlier ones that was uh, recorded. We skipped over that one because we had just taught on it not too long ago. But we told you some of the things from it. But last week, we were looking at the lame man of Bethesda. We saw that Jesus gave him something to respond to. He was ready to respond to the stirring of the water. He was ready to respond to what he has been taught all his life. You want to get healed, get down to the pool, get in the water, be the first one to get in. That's what he's taught. That's what his expectation is. That's what he's been down here doing for years. And Jesus is altering this course and he's telling him to do something that he believes he can't do. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man obeyed. But the man has no knowledge of Jesus. He does not know who he is. He does not know what he has done. He does not know that he goes into synagogue and reads the scripture whenever he comes into town. He doesn't know that because all his time is spent at the pool. Morning, afternoon, nighttime. He's at the pool. He's waiting for that to happen. He was ready to do something to respond to the healing power of God. But Jesus asked him to do something. So we went over, we spent some time on this. We saw that God's command, God will give you a command and it's something that sometimes it, it comes to us... It's something we are unable to do. God will say, I want you to do this. And I say, I can't do that. The man with the withered hand. What's Jesus say to him? Stretch out your hand. We're not at that one yet. But a lot of times he will tell you something that you think, I can't do that. Now, just because you can't do it doesn't mean doing it will bring the power of God. You need to have the command of God. When God says, do this, then you do it. First off, it's something that is unable, we're unable to do. Second, it can be something that we are unwilling to do. Remember Naaman? He was not willing to go dip into the Jordan River. Or something that we can do, but don't see how it will change anything. Oh, that's ridiculous. Why in the world would I do that? That cannot be God. And we just kind of walk away from it. We have to get out of what we are prepared to do to obey what God tells us to do. That's where we need to get. Most times when God gives us a command, it will challenge our submission. 
we will find out I am not as submitted as I thought. I love my brother Keith Moore when he was when he would teach on this on submission, and he would tell he would, he used to teach it at school. Not when I was there; they didn't start that that course until I was I was gone. But he would have people come in, and they say, "Oh, I don't even know why I had to take this. I have no problem with submission." <laughs> submission and agreement are two different things. And most people feel like, well, as long as I agree, we're, we're okay. No, the problem of submission comes in when you disagree. Now you find out how submitted you are. And then when people saw that in the Word of God, they found out, oh, I didn't think this was an issue for me, but apparently it is. Well, you're going to find out that sometimes that what God calls you to do calls to light some things. You may have to repent from some bad attitudes. You may have to retrain yourselves into some good actions. We've gotten into some bad habits. Or you've got to replace some doubt habits with some faith ones. And we went over some things about this last time. But let's get into our scripture here. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. This is recorded, unlike last week, in which John is the only one who recorded it. This is recorded in all three Gospels outside of John. And we're going to take a look at some of the differences that are there. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Now this is, he's reading the, he's reading the things in the synagogue. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, they came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And, they re- and the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, we could talk about the kind of things that unclean spirits do to you or cause you to do. Uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on what the devil does. But unclean spirits, when they're on, you can very often see them. A lot of times people can pick up. There's, there's just not, there's something not right here. You can pick up that there's an unclean spirit that's behind it. We don't see it nearly to the degree that other countries see it. If you've uh, listened to some of Lester Summerall, I know we put some of the things up on, on him before. He has he has stories that will make your hair curl. Oh, man, the things that he got involved with. He got involved in, in situations where the entire nation knew about the demon-possessed person. And the entire nation was watching what he would do and how he would respond to the, to the thing. And it was, it was uh, quite astounding. But in some of those stories that he would tell, he talked about a, a boy who became invisible. Came invisible and actually disappear out of rooms. Now, have, we don't have that kind of demon possession over here, do we? <laughs> At least not that we've seen. Now, it's gotten stronger because we've let our guard down and the church does not um, have as much influence on our culture as it used to. So it is, get, it is growing and you're seeing more of that come up like you have in other countries. But... Some countries are very uh, attuned to this and they'll see some of these things happen. I think one of the most uh, astounding ones that Lester would share with us was the woman who was bitten by demons and things that had happened to her. They would have her in a room by herself and bite marks would show up. And all doctors all over were puzzled. They had no idea what to do. And he got the, uh, the I believe the president or the governor of the, of the area was involved. And he actually, uh, because of what he did and changed the situation, the governor said, what do you need? 
And he said, well, I need some uh, permits to be approved as we're building this church. You got it. <laughs> he just went in there and he took care of all the red tape and he just uh, uh, opened up a way. But you see, that's because somebody went out and d- demonstrated the power of God. Now, he didn't have anybody going blazing these trails before him. Howard Carter was the guy who really raised him up, but Howard Carter didn't work in this area. This is something that God led him into. And if you ever hear him tell the stories of when he would go into a church and the things that would happen, demon spirits that were there, he would have people in the audience, demon-possessed, grab hold of his arm or cause disruptions in the service. I'm bringing that up to you for this. You may have skipped over it, but I want you to note we are in the synagogue. We are on a Sabbath And this disruption has come from a demon-possessed person who apparently frequents the synagogue. It's not unusual. It does not seem anywhere that it is unusual for this person to be in the synagogue, in church, on Sunday. And he's there teaching. He was teaching the Word of God. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit, verse 33, of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, do with you Jesus of Nazareth? So get the picture. Jesus is up there teeny, teaching. The anointing is on him. The people are saying, We've never seen anyone teach with this kind of anointing, with this kind of power in the Word. And this power is going out. And this person, who apparently has been in the synagogue other Sabbaths, was fine sitting in there with the, with the word that they were teaching. But when Jesus got up and that anointing was on him, and remember this, the scripture that Lissy read, that power was on him. He's here to do certain things. That anointing is on him to do these things. He is teaching this way and that evil spirit on the inside of him got disrupted and spoke up and disrupted the meeting. We're going to stop this teaching from going on. We're going to disrupt this thing. And instead of disrupting it, he cast out the demon. And now people say, wow, this is amazing. We've never seen anybody do this before. This is remarkable. And they come out and they say, let us alone. I looked at a number of different uh, places for, for this. And it, it seems to be let us alone, which would seem to indicate there may have been more. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And then when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Now we're reading this, we're not seeing it. I can't see all the things that are going on, but somehow this is done in such a way that Jesus says, I don't want your publicity. Shut up. Get out. And this is what he would do very often because they tried to identify who he was. He doesn't want people identifying because demon spirits said who he was. He wants people to believe because they see the anointing of God on them. Now, apparently, whatever this this uh, person did, by the inspiration of the unclean spirits, this synagogue was okay with it. Just have them come right on in. So this person is in the synagogue, totally unaffected by the surroundings until Jesus started to preach. And it caused a disturbance. Now I want you to take a look at this. What Jesus does not do. You can write down some of these things if you, if you want to. I want you to see what Jesus does not do. First off, he has no conversation with the Spirit. He's not here to talk to the Spirit. You will have people who will teach you that if you want to cast out demon spirits, you've got to have a conversation with them you got to ask them their name. 
And then you got to cast it out by that name. Because there's one story where there's something like that happens. No, you don't. You can tell them to shut up. They're liars anyway. They'll probably lie and give you a false name. You don't need to know the name of the Spirit to cast out the demon spirit. What you need to know is the name of Jesus. That's the name that gets it done. Now, it's not moved by loud voice or any actions. Demon spirits are not moved by how loud you get your voice. It's not moved by any kind of things that you wave, burn, wear, whatever it might be. They're not moved by that. They're not affected by the disturbance. They're totally unafraid of causing causing any kind of disturbance. They don't care about causing a disturbance. Don't think that they're trying to dance around stuff and neither is Jesus. He's not afraid about causing a disturbance. You want to cause a disturbance in the meeting? I'll cause a disturbance with you. He stands right up there. Don't back down. But here's the important one. He did not pray to or ask the Father for anything. He didn't do it. He didn't sit there and say, Father God, Take away this evil spirit. Father God, free this person. Does not do it. Does not start to have a word of prayer over the person. He speaks to the person. He speaks to that spirit. Be quiet and come out of him. That's it. Jesus rebuked him. It said he rebuked him. Rebuked the spirit. How did he do that? He said, be quiet and come out of him. You don't rebuke a spirit by saying, I rebuked you. That's not rebuking the spirit. People think that. Well, I rebuke you, devil. Well, you can do that if you want to, but that's not being biblical. The action is you rebuke. The words are the rebuke. You don't say, I rebuke you, devil. You say, devil, you have no hold over my life. That's a rebuke. Devil, you have no place in my house. That's a rebuke. Speak to the thing that you want to be done. That's a rebuke. Don't say, I rebuke you, and the devil says, so? He didn't tell me to do nothing. Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. See, he said something. He told him to do something. He is calling for a change in the situation. This man has been possessed. Jesus is calling for a change in the situation. This is what Jesus did do. He rebuked the demon. Now, I want you to note this. There's a few places you're going to see that it's a little bit different, but not here. In verse 26 and 37, it will speak of continual action, continual speaking. They kept saying, they kept repeating. There's a repeat of it, but not here in 35. It's a singular action. He says, he rebuked him. It's singular. Be quiet and come out of him. He said it one time. He didn't say it over and over. There are time, there is a certain time when Jesus did say it, he had been saying to him, this is not that time. This time, he says, be quiet and come out of him. That's what he says to him. Now look at this. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Now this will throw some people. If you ever get in a place where you're going to cast out a demon spirit, first off, understand this. You need permission from the person that they want to be free 
We'll see that more as we get into here. You say, well, this man did not give Jesus permission. No, he did not. But he butted into Jesus' business. If you're going to butt into Jesus' business, then Jesus is going to get in yours. Notice this. Jesus did not say anything to him while he's teaching. Not until the man decided to make a ruckus and interrupt Jesus' meeting. You're going to interrupt my meeting? You're out of here. That's what he did. Paul did a similar thing with the girl that was following him. He left her alone. But then all of a sudden, nope, you've gone too far. Come out of her. So understand this. You do need permission, but not if they pick a fight. You don't need permission when they pick a fight. When they pick a fight, go after them. But just know you got the you got the victory here. They may try and play on your religious background because people have probably taught you, well, you need to have permission all the time. If they want to keep the demon, then they can keep the demon. Not if they're getting into my business. No, we gotta we're gonna take care of this. And you can you can step in there and do that. Alright, we'll learn more about that as we see Jesus deal with, with some more of these as we as we go on. But Here's a here's the thing, and we're gonna need some some I'm gonna need four of our four of our children to come on up here to help us out with that. I need four of our kids to come on up. They're gonna be holding some things here for me. And uh we're gonna ask you for a couple of times. Who wants to come? Vincenzo, I see you up there. You ready? Alright, come on. Anybody else? Come on. I got three. Who else do I got? Somebody else coming from over there? Oh, we got, okay, we got my number four. All righty. All right. Don't turn that around yet. I want you to hold that right there. Okay. Oh, we don't, I don't have to turn these off at all. Okay. I thought I, I did. Are you ready? Don't turn these right like that. Don't turn it around yet. And I need... There's my other one. You ready? All right, I got. I, where's my Where's my final one? Chenzo, come on, come on over here to the end. Right over here to the end. All right, I'm gonna have you guys switch places. Yeah, got you. I got you a little bit out of order. All right, can everybody see them? You two, come on out over in here, and then you two just get, it, just so they're they're in place there. You can stand up on the stage there. If you want, I want everybody to see it. All right. If you want to change the situation, I put these in your outline. They're just blank lines. You got to write them in there if you want to. You don't want to, just leave them blank. If you want to change the situation, I'm going to give you four choices. One of them's right. One of them's right. Three of them are wrong. If you want to change the situation, here's the first choice that you can have. Can you turn yours over? Whoops, got to turn it over. I'm sorry, Ask God to change it. That's your first choice. Ask God to change it. Don't you all get super spiritual on me because every single one of you has done this. <laughs> every single one of you has done this. you got a bad situation going on. Oh God, please change this. Right? Ask God to change. That's one thing we do. What's the number second thing we can do? Wait and hope. Wait and hope that God moves on your behalf. 
I'm just waiting and hoping. I know God's going to move sooner or later. I'm just waiting and hoping. Sooner or later, God's going to change this thing. I know God's going to, God's got me in mind. I know it. I got faith. I'm just believing and I'm just waiting and hoping. All right. Lumi, come on, stand up. Can you turn yours, turn yours around for me? Turn yours, turn yours that way. All right. Ask God to change it. God, oh God, God, you know what's going through? You know what's going on over here? Actually, we got, we got, our, we got that one doubled. I'm looking over here. This is, this is number three. We'll have to, can we, can we write a new one for, for me? Cause I'm going to need it again. I got, uh, I got stuff up here. Here's number three. Do something good to get God to move. Do something good. Your mama's going to give you a new one. Do something good. Just put it that way. But do something good to get God to move. Has anybody ever done this? Do something good. That's the one we need. God, if you will answer my prayer, I'll witness to three people this week. God, if you will answer my prayer, I'll read three chapters in the Bible. God, if you'll answer my prayer... I'll give money to the missionaries. Right? Do something good to get God to move. Now, don't be all super spiritual. I know you've done this before. You've gotten desperate. God, if you'll come through and you'll do this for me. Here's number choice number four. Chenzo, turn yours around. Speak to the situation. Now, see, this goes against religion. But you see, last week we saw with the man at the pool. He had to go against the religion of the day. Get in the pool. Watch for the water to be stirred up. This goes against religion. Speak to the situation. You start doing this and people get wind of it, they're going to call you crazy. You're going to get pressure. You Remember what we told you before? I hope you all get this one down because I, I wish I could review it all the time. The four things that would help identify misinterpreted truth the four things one of those things is separation that it is separate from the world that the teaching of the Bible is separate from the world now think about this will the world be okay with asking God to change your situation absolutely right they don't care about that yeah sure ask God to change your situation maybe hopefully it'll happen how about is the world okay with wait and hope well, wait and hope. Maybe God will move on your behalf. They're okay with that. Yeah. yeah. How about um, this one? Turn that around. There you go. Do something good. How about, is the world okay with do something good to get God to move? It is okay with that. Is the world okay with speak to the situation? No. So which one do you think is God? And which one do we do the least? And that's why our situations aren't changing. Because we're asking God, we're waiting and hoping, or we're going to find something good to do to get God to move instead of speaking to the situation. Well, I don't know if I can speak to the situation. I don't know if I have that kind of authority. I haven't been living that right. I don't know that much of the word. Maybe I don't qualify. 
Mm-mm-mm. All right. You guys hang on to those because I'm going to have you come up. If you want to sit towards the front, you can do that. But I'm going to need you to come back up here in just a little bit. You can, you know, I don't want you to make it stand us all. You can go sit down anywhere you want. But I'm going to call you back up just so you know. Now, it said here in the Bible that verse 36, Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. He didn't ask them. He didn't suggest them. He didn't wait for them. He commanded them. And the report about him went out into every place in the region. Some places put in that place his fame. But what it actually is, this word it would be better translated like a rumor or a thing heard. It's a rumor or a thing heard. You know how fast rumors spread? That's what's happening here. People are spreading rumors about Jesus. Do you know what happened in synagogue? Oh, man. He's over there teaching. I never heard anybody teach like this. But then right in the middle, this guy, you know, you know what I mean, brother so-and-so? You know. He does that, those funny things. Yeah. Well, he got up and disrupted the meeting. You know what Jesus did? He commanded the demon spirit to leave him. And he threw him down. And then he left. Now, see, a whole lot of Christians, they see the throwing down. They get all messed up. Oh, I guess this isn't working. Oh, I was hoping that this would do something. And they get nervous. There's a story. We'll get to it where that happened. And not this one. Jesus, he didn't back off of this one. He says, I told you to go. He's not going to say it again. And that demon spirit left and it didn't hurt him, it says. It made a special point to say, it didn't hurt him. That demon spirit is gone now. Verse 38. Now he arose from the synagogue. So he just left the synagogue. We just had the encounter with the little demon spirit there. How many of you that would wear you out? I mean, you just had the episode. You're teaching in church. This demon spirit gets up, causes a disruption, and you deal with it. And I mean, you're coming out of church now. You're wore out. Oh, man. You're a little tired. And then you come on out here, and there's more to do. You're going to find out there's more to do after this. Let me just do give you a little side note on this part. Your spiritual appetite will dictate your spiritual endurance. People who... How many have ever heard some minister who got up, you know, they, they, uh, they were sharing some things and you're listening to it and says, he didn't say nothing. You ever been in listen to something? He didn't say nothing. There's nothing in that. 45 minutes of words, but nothing was said. I've had that. Kick myself. Why in the world did I spend 45 minutes listening? There's nothing there. And then you hear somebody else talk about, oh, I got so blessed. Oh, I was so blessed. And you're thinking, there's nothing there. There's nothing. There was nothing there. Maybe you even found out there's some false stuff there. But there was nothing there. Why? Because you put a demand on things. When you got a baby growing up, and that baby's growing up, what kind of stuff did that baby eat? Milk. Eventually moves up into milk and cereal. And that satisfies that baby, doesn't it? 
How many of you would be happy drinking milk every day? All you get. Here's your glass of milk. <laughs> Not unless it's chocolate milk, right? Chocolate milk might... Eventually you get tired of the same thing. No, I want something different. I want to sink my teeth into a steak. I want a nice pasta dish. I want some chicken. You want something else? You want something to sink your teeth into? Why? Because you put demands on your body. And the more demands you put on your body, the more you need to put into it. If you're a weightlifter, you put in so much. How many remember, um, there's other swimmers out there, but how many remember um, Michael Phelps? Yeah, he had, he was a great, I, I liked, um, Mark Spitz better just cause he had the best name for a swimmer. I mean, that's great. Y'all heard the jokes, right? How'd they fill the Olympic pool? Mark Spitz. <laughs> he had the, he had the great, greatest name, but I, I know the stories of Michael Phelps and uh, the stuff that he would do and the things he had to do to get his caloric intake up. He had to do so much. Everything had to be monitored because he was in the thousands, mega, like six, seven thousands. If I, it might even been on more than that. It's been a little while since I heard that. He was up there so many thousands that all he had to drink sports drinks in between. He had to do others, everything he could do in between to get the caloric intake up because there was such a demand put on him. Now I, running cross country, we didn't have to burn as many calories. As, as he did. He burned a lot of calories. Swimming apparently, you gotta do it more. You can do it more. And it puts a lot more. Uh, I know for me, I was, I was, my target was 4,500 to 5,000 calories a day. And I barely made it. Every effort I put into it, trying to make it. I'd eat, I told you before, I eat bread sandwiches in between meals. I would take a loaf of bread, whole wheat bread, up to my room. Cause they let us do that at college. Cause we were the sports teams and they let us do anything. And I would take that up. And in between meals, I would have a bread sandwich. Slice of bread between two slices of bread. And I would just eat these bread sandwiches. Nothing on it, just bread. I'm trying to get some, some caloric intake up. And the meals by itself are not doing it. I remember sometimes coming to dinner and being so tired of eating. I, I don't want to eat. I don't want to eat. I am so tired of taking in food. But you see, the more you put of demand on your body then the more you have to take in. Spiritually, if you are putting a demand on your body, if you're allowing the people that are around you to need things and you draw from your yourself and give to them, you help them, you teach them, you minister to them, you lay hands on them. And when you do these things and help them out, it will draw on your spirit. You will need more. The more you do spiritually, the more you get involved with God, the more you pursue God, the more you are going to need. That's just a little sidelight. So he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she arose and served them. All right, bunch of stuff wrong with this story, I'll tell you. Especially here at the end. Can you imagine somebody being down with fever? To the point they can't get up. They get healed. They get up. Oh, go make some dinner. That's not how most of us would respond. We'll get into that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 29, this is how Mark puts it. 
Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So, he lets us know that not only is it Simon's house, not only is his wife there, not only is his mother-in-law there, but his brother lives there too. And James and John, these are buddies of theirs, they came over too. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. Now, the verb is in the imperfect tense and it's speaking of continuous action or a state in time past. In other words, she'd been sick for a long time. Now, here's what we don't know. I don't know, is this a fever that has her down or is it a fever that comes, when it comes, it knocks her down and then she can get up and then it comes and knocks her down. How many have ever been knocked down by a fever? You know what that's, that's like? You get that, that fever just knocks you down. You're laying down there. Oh man, you are, you're done. But sometimes it goes away and you can get up for a little bit and then you get hit with it again and you go back down again. You've been through that sort of thing. It may be something like that. She may not have had the fever the entire time, but it's gone on for a long time. This is what this, the tense of all this is telling you. It has gone on for a long time. You look at some translations, they will actually work that in there that she had been sick for a long time. So she's got this. Either the mother-in-law has her own dwelling, but because she has been down with this, she is now staying at Peter's house. And, and uh, we don't know what Peter's viewpoint is on that. But the mother-in-law is staying at the house. It may be that she just is so sick she can't stay at home. And she's been over here. It may be that she lives with him. We don't know. Don't know about all that, but we do know that she's been down for some time. The fever here actually comes from the Greek word for fire. And that's why some of your translations will actually work this in that she was burning up with fever. If you wonder why is it in some translations, it's because this word for fever comes from the word for fire. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she served them. Now he leaves out a part that Luke put in. Let's go back over here to to, uh, verse 39 in Luke chapter 4. So he stood over her and rebuked. Now this is Luke the doctor. I am told that the phraseology that Luke uses is he stood, Jesus stood over her like a doctor would. I'm not sure how that's different. I just know that that's a, a note that is made on the way that he wrote it. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. He just came from the synagogue. What did he do with the demon spirit? He rebuked it. What did the demon spirit do? It left. He comes over here to the fever. He rebukes the fever, and what happens? And it left her. It left her. It didn't say that she no longer had a fever. It said that the fever left her. All right, now kids, we're going to be needing you here in just a minute. You get ready. So she had a high fever. She's burning up. You get a high enough fever, that can kill you. This can be a fatal thing. They just had the meeting. Now, I want you to notice this about this. What comes after this? If you want to go ahead when you get home later on, if you want to read the next chapter that comes after this, how many remember the story of when Jesus asked to use Peter's boat and then took Peter on a fishing trip? You all remember that story? That story happens after this. Jesus did not meet Peter when he asked him to use his boat. He met him before. Sometimes that's not clear when we uh, remember that story. 
It's about a day or two before Jesus has to use his boat. Following the big catch. Now let's look at what Jesus does not do. First of thing he does not do, he does not pray and ask God to heal. Oh, Father God, please heal this woman. She's suffering so much and has been suffering for so long. Oh, God, I know you love her. Oh, God, please heal her. He doesn't do it. He doesn't give a command to her, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He doesn't do that. There's no command given to her to follow. He does not seem to rely on the gifts of healing in him. Sometimes, you're going to see this in the next passage, sometimes Jesus will go out and lay hands on people because when you lay hands on people, there's a transfer of power. That's not just the gift of the Spirit, but there's a laying on of hands that would go on. And Jesus even told his disciples and other people that he commissioned as well, go and lay hands on them and they will recover. So he does not, he does not lay hands on her. He rebukes the demon spirit. Let's take a look at what Jesus did do. First off, he rebuked the fever. He spoke it once. And he acted like it was so in lifting her up by the hand. Now, maybe we get out there and we rebuke the fever. Maybe we speak it once. But how many of us are willing to go forward and lift them up? You don't need to be laying down anymore. Come on, get up. All right, let's get our kids back up here again. Let's take a look at this. If you want a situation, come on. Come on, where did we go? Make sure you bring your signs. Need your signs. Alright, first off, if you want a situation to change, if you want a situation, a person's got a fever, and you want it to change, do you ask, put it up, do you ask God to change it? Here's number two. Do we wait and hope God moves on on your behalf? Well, we're going to pray for you and we're just going to wait and hope that the fever goes away. Do we do something good to get God to move? Now, Jesus could have right here. Well, God, I just was ministering in your in your synagogue. I taught people, cast out demons. Now, you can do this for me. We did something good. Or here's the last one. Speak to the situation. What one does Jesus do? He speaks to the situation. In this passage, we've had two situations to change. A demon spirit and a fever. Both times, Jesus spoke to it. Alright, you guys can sit down again. But, I'm going to need you one more time. Verse 40. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. When the sun was setting... Now, in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish people, uh, times, day was not midnight to midnight. It was sundown to sundown. So, it is the Sabbath. Jesus has cast out a demon on the Sabbath because it disrupted the meeting. He has cast out a fever. It was threatening the life of somebody and he was asked to do something. But now, the sun is setting. We're no longer in the Sabbath. And so, people are bringing the sick to him. That's why the, that's a, the difference. That's what is noted here for. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now we're seeing this. Now we're seeing that the healing goes on. Now remember, when we're looking at the, the parables, Jesus taught principles. 
with parables. But in healing miracles, he demonstrates power. With the parables, he was teaching principles. One of the principles he taught was that of persistence. And we learned that don't be persistent in unbelief. Be persistent in faith. And that's what Jesus is. He's persistent in faith. So the son was setting all those who had any were sick with various diseases, brought them to him. Now, various diseases mean some of them might have fevers. Some of them might have blindness. Some of them might have uh, earaches. Some of them might have been deaf. Whatever the situation was, all kinds of things were going on. They would bring them with various diseases. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So along with all the sick people, they're bringing some people that are demon-possessed because, hey, I heard what happened down in the synagogue. Remember the rumors? The famous spreading. There's a guy who, who cast out demons. We know he's got a demon. Let's get him over to Jesus. So they take him on over to Jesus. Jesus cast them out. They want to say, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now see, someone is involving them in the situation. Someone is involving them. It's not just they're, they're there by themselves. They didn't just wander into the meeting. Somebody brought them in. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is whoever. They want to be free. Maybe when their mind is right, they want to be free. And as Jesus is laying hands on them, all of a sudden that demon spirit comes up and starts saying these things. But we already know that the will of the person is to be free. Verse 42. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now Matthew 8.16 reads it this way. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. He cast out the spirits with the word. What did he do? He spoke to the situation. He rebuked the demons and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And he goes on and he quotes Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. In Mark 1.32, this is his rendition. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, I have this note on this, that they brought him all who were diseased. The word there for brought means to carry some burden to move by bearing. So when it says that they were bringing them, they were actually carrying them. We're looking at people that were sick enough that couldn't get there on their own. The verb is imperfect, which for the Greek will mean continuous action. This means they're still at the house. They are still at Simon's house. And they are coming to the house and they are bringing multitude they they brought everyone it says they brought everyone who had demons and everyone who had any kind of various disease brought them and in uh, the uh, i believe it was luke's gospel said he healed them all he healed them all can you imagine that how many times have you run into people who say 
Well, I don't know if it's the Lord's will to heal me. Anybody ever heard that? I'm sure that no one here has ever used that as an excuse for themselves. But you know people who have said, I don't know if it's the Lord's will to heal me. And sometimes we hear that and it can get on the inside of us. And so when I have something, the first thought is, I wonder if God wants to heal me. How many have ever wondered that? I know God heals. But I wonder if God wants to heal me. It's one thing to know that God heals. That's great. But you've got to know God wants to heal you. So look at this. We're going to see some other places in the Scripture that will help you out even this even more. He healed them all. If it is sometimes the will of God for people to be sick, do you not think that in this town, when they brought all that were sick and demon-possessed, that he could have found one? That it was God's will for them to be sick? Remember the verse of Scripture we started off with that Lissy read for us. The anointing that was on Jesus didn't show anything in there that it's, except for those that it's the will of God for them to be sick. There's, that's not in there. you got to get that out. Just like the man last week had to get certain things out of his head in order to walk in and get his healing. you got to get that out. It is always God's will to heal people. Always. But we don't always put ourselves in a place to receive it. That's why we're looking at all these. I want to find out how do I get myself in a position that I can receive. It said in Luke, all of them were healed. Now he's laying on of hands. This is a general way. This is not tapping into any of the healing gifts that are on him. This is not tapping into to, uh, word of knowledge or working a miracle. Something like that. He's just laying hands. And these are people that had to be brought. So don't think that laying on of hands is only for people who have colds, flus, and headaches and fevers. You can go out there and lay hands on them no matter what condition they're in. Because Jesus did it here. No matter what condition they were in. They brought them. Jesus laid hands on them. And all of them were healed. Let's take a look at some other situations. How did God change? And I'm going to just list a bunch of things for you. How did God change? First off, how did God change darkness to light? How did He do that? How did He turn the darkness of this world into light? Genesis 1, 3, and 4. Then God said... Let there be light. And there was light. How did God change it? He spoke it. He said something, right? How did God get the land out of the water? Because all the earth was covered with the flood. How did God get the land to come out of the water? Verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good. How did he get the the land to separate from the water? He spoke it. Verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. How did it become so? He said it. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Look at this. And you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How did God bring about the blessing on the descendants of Abraham? 
He spoke it. Now you've got some blanks here if you want to fill these in. First off, these declarations that we see call for a change and for that change to continue. These things that we saw, the things that Jesus did, the things that God did in, the, in Genesis, actually uh, Jesus is the one that, that did the creation. They called for a change. This is what the situation is. This is what it wanted to become. We want to see a change. He called for a change and for that change to continue. Life continued, didn't it? Dry land continued. Most declarations in the Word are ones of change, not ones of continuance. They don't speak things for something to continue. They speak things for something to change. Now get this one. For many believers... It is the opposite. But our declarations of continuance look at how things are and for that to continue. We are declaring things to continue in our own lives. Here's some examples because I don't want you to imagine them. I want you to see this. How many have ever said something like this? Oh, these things always happen to me. What are you doing? I'm declaring a continuing situation and for that situation to continue. Have I called for a change? I have not. Maybe this one might help you. You never listen to me. Are we calling for a change? No. We are stating something that we see and for that to continue. I will have blank until I die. I guess I'll have this pain until I die. What are we saying? We're acknowledging the situation and that it will continue until I die. Things never go right for me. You ever say something like that? Oh, yeah, things always go right for other people. They never go right for me. What are we doing? Speaking of continuance. I'm always passed over at work for promotions. I'm always passed over at work for raises. What are we doing? Speaking something that has occurred in the past to continue. Now, take a look at these examples. First Samuel 17.45 Then David said to the Philistine, you all remember David and Goliath? You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This day, look at this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day... I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Ooh. What's he doing? Now David came in on this situation and Goliath has been calling out the people of Israel for a while. That has been a situation that has continued. The people of Israel are speaking words of continuance. But David comes in and says, this isn't right. He speaks words of change. And notice this. No, nothing changed between the Philistines and the Israelites until somebody came in and spoke words of change. Now, he didn't just speak them. He went out there and did it. I got one more for you. And these are all stories that I know you know really well because I want you to have them in your head and remember them. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Everybody know them, right? You know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that is their Jewish names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel 3.17, they are being 
threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said this with their mouth. Now, if they just continue with things, they're going to continue into the fiery furnace, are they not? Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand, O King. What's He done? Called for a change. He has called for a change. Even though, this is in your outline, even though we know that things don't stay the same, it is, seems easier to declare that than to call for a change. How many of y'all know, we've even said it, well, you know, things just don't stay the same. Things are always changing. Except for the bad things in our life. They stay the same. They're never changing. I can accept change outside of my situation. I understand the world is about to change. The world is constantly changing. But my life, no, that pain will always be with me. No, that sickness, that disease will always be with me. All right. Come on up again, kids. I need you one more time. Many believers who need a situation changed in their life are too easily moved from speaking to into pleading for. And they have reason for it. They got reasonings for it. They're going to, reasoning is going to sound something like this. It doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> what you're doing doesn't seem to be working. I still hurt. I still feel bad. I feel foolish in the eyes of others. Have you ever felt foolish in the eyes of other people? Because you want to call for a change. It's taking too long. I thought this had been done by now. I've been doing this for an hour. Doing this for a week. Or we just fall back into what we're used to doing. This is the way I always did it. It would work for my mom, work for my dad, work for my grandparents, it'll work for me. So, let's take a look at this. If you want a situation to change, what should you do? First off, ask God to change it? No. How about this one? Wait and hope. No. How about this one? Do something good. Get God's attention. That be the third one. Speak to the situation. That's what we got to do. Now see, this takes retraining. Because we are trained religiously to accept whatever comes to us as God's will. We accept that God may not have my attention. I have only given you a few examples and how long did it take me to get through all those. There are more in the Word of God. I could list so many people that nothing changed until they called for it. What is it in your life that needs to change and what are you calling for? How many have ever done this? Gotten up out of bed in the morning. Oh, my aching back. There are so many things wrong with that statement. First off, that is your back. It does not have to be your aching back. I pick on back because... A lot of people have, can relate to that. No. You wake up in the morning, you feel that, you say, Back, I told you I'm not putting up with that pain. You see, you call for a change. Now, how many have heard Charles Caps on this? How many have never heard Charles Caps on this topic? Oh, my. you got to hear Charles. He's, he's like, the, this is his topic. This is why God put him on the earth for this. Y'all can sit down now, thank you. This is why God put them here. 
just for this particular thing. His example was he would always talk about the dog and he just used the name Spot for that. He just said, you know, if, if you go out in the day and you want your dog to come here, what do you do? Spot! Spot, come here! Well, what if your neighbor came on to you? What are you doing? Well, I'm calling for my dog. But your dog is not here. Why are you calling for your dog? Your dog's not here. If your dog was here, then you'd call for it. That's how religion thinks. You only talk about what's here. You only talk about what's happening. You only talk about what you have. Better example is even this. You all going home. Today is going to get a little warmer. Maybe some of you folks, you know, you're a little, a little soft. Don't like heat. And so what happens? What do you go, what do you go over and do? If the temperature in your house registers 80 degrees, I'm okay. I'm all right at 80 degrees. I don't mind heat. But if you don't like 80 degrees, what do you do? You change the thermostat. What do you change the thermostat to? 76? Why are you turning your thermostat to 76? It's not 76 in the house. It's 80. Why don't you say how things are? Why are you calling for a change? Because your thermostat doesn't work unless you call for a change. So we accept this with thermostats. We accept it with dogs. But we don't accept it with God. If you want something to change in your situation, if you want something to change in your life, follow Jesus' example. He's got a disruption in the meeting. What does he do? Calls for a change. You got Peter with his mother-in-law. Fever. High fever. Burning up. What does Jesus do? Calls for a change. He's got all these sick people coming over. What's he do? Calls for a change. How many of them got healed again? All of them. All of them. Huh. Well, that's Jesus. Yeah, except that he sent his disciples out. And they did the same thing. And then in the book of Acts, they're still going out and doing the same thing. The reason you only have what you have is because that's all you've called for. Well, I don't know if I want to put myself out there like that. Then you'll have always have what you got. You got to start calling for a change. You want to get promoted at work? Father God, I thank you that you show me what I need to do to get the attention of my bosses so I will get promoted at work. I am calling for a promotion. I am calling for a raise. Now, you don't just call for a raise and don't go out there and do the work. Call for a raise and, Father God, you show me what I got to do. You show me how I can become more valuable. You show me what I can do in, inside this. Don't just ask for God for stuff. Be willing to put things in. People... I like Bruce's testimony. He wasn't just wanting to be blessed. Be blessed. He wanted to be a blessing. Don't ever get to a place where all you do is receive what people do for you. Be in a place where you're always giving what you can give. Doing what you can do. Be in that place. Do those kind of things. We've been way over on this. Would you all stand up with me? I could keep going on this topic. This topic is... But this is what you need to do. We'll see this more. You've got to call for a change. You've got to see... If your car breaks down, do you say, well, I guess I just have a broke car. What do you do? You take it to the garage. You say, this is not working. What do you ask the garage guy to do? Fix it. You're calling for a change. You call for a change. If the bank made a mistake and took $1,000 out of your bank, what do you do? Well, I guess I just have to accept that. This is how it is. This is what I've got. 
No, what do you do? You call the bank up and what do you say? I want to change. <laughs> you, you made a mistake. I want to change. You call for a change. We will do this in all these other situations. But when it comes to God, oh God, please change my situation. Oh God, if I do this for you, will you do this for me? Instead of doing what God said, which is call for a change. If you never heard Brother Capsule on this and you'd like to just send me a text and let me know and I'd be happy to uh, send you some of his uh, messages that he's done on this. We even have some on our YouTube channel if you want to go up there and, and hear him. He's one of the best on the topic and uh, just love his, his anointing in that area. Would you bow your heads with me? Well, Father, when you sent Jesus here on this earth, you saw how things were and you called for a change. You sent Jesus here to bring about that change so that we would not be lost in sin and destined for hell. But you sent Jesus here because you called for a change. I thank you that you set us in a great example of calling for a change. Let there be light. So many times the power of God was spoken before it actually happened. Father, you can change our situations too. Let us see in your word what the image should be, what we should have, how we should be going about our life. Let us see that. And when we see it, we can declare it in our life. This is not what you have declared for me. This is not the way I am to go. But I will call for a change on this. And I thank you, Father, that we can be instruments to bring that change about. Glory to God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is our first Sunday of the month and our communion Sunday. We ask our folks that they can hand out the elements. Jesus' example was a phenomenal thing of change. Jesus came and ministered on this earth for three and a half years to show people God was different than they were thinking. He was different from their religion. He was teaching them. He called for a change. When we get born again, God called for a change in our life. Instead of being submitted to our flesh, instead of being submitted to the, our father, the devil, he wants us to be submitted to him. He called for a change. Just because a change is called for doesn't mean it starts up right away, but that's where you set the direction. If you're driving out to a place that you don't know where it is and you have the map coordinates in on your phone and your phone tells you which way to go, you're not there yet, are you? But you've called for a change and you're heading in the direction to get there. This is the roadmap that God gives us. Paul for a change still a lot more we'll see in the rest of the miracles that we have coming up healing miracles you're going to see some more you'll learn some more about this Jesus is going to teach us some things to help us to get in that place that we can call for things to change and expect them to happen it's important that we learn not only from the successes we will also learn from some of the failures and see what happened with those have those going in the, in the coming weeks. But when Jesus 
brought his disciples into the upper room before he had dinner. He took the bread. Religion teaches you that Jesus' sacrifice was all one part. But Jesus taught you different. He said, no, it's two parts. First off, there's the body. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. On his body was put your sicknesses and your diseases. That's, a, that's separate from the forgiveness issue. The sacrifice issue. Separate from that. Because he wants you to know. Salvation is not just to save your soul. It is to heal your body. So before supper, he took the bread. After supper, he broke, he passed the cup. He put an entire meal between these two things. Because they are two different things. As we remember his body, eat the bread. Remember, his body was broken. Not for your forgiveness of sin. For the healing of your body. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup and said, this represents blood of the new covenant. Old covenant pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who would come. But all they could do was cover it up. You operated in obedience to it, looking forward to Messiah. And he said, now Messiah has come. This is the blood. This is the new covenant. Do this as often. As often as you do this, remember me. We don't have to add anything to the forgiveness of sins. Just like I don't have to earn the forgiveness of sins, I don't earn the healing of my body, the strength of it. Father, we thank you. What a glorious time to remember all that Jesus has done. He called for a change, and a change came about. Help us, Father, begin to look at our situation. What changes are we calling for what continuances are we calling for? And help us to change that, to get in line with your word. And we call for the changes that you've instructed to in the word. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in endeavoring to always find things for you, some of which would be new, I came upon a series that uh, Brother Keith Moore just did September 12th. 13th and 14th of this year now I was listening to it and I said oh this is really good it's going to tie in with the, the miracles thing so I know we just did one of Brother Keith's series not too long ago but this is worthwhile it is a three part series there are three and a half hours of teaching because of that I'm probably going to have it be this week and next week so it'll give you two weeks to listen to it all you got time you want to mull through it and go through some I put all three up there I was going to post the last one up there the end of the towards the end of the week, but now nah, we just put them all up there. You go up there and get them as you want to. So they're all there. You can go up there and to to listen to them. One of the things that he, um, I put some of, some of the stuff in there for you to do. But one of the things he will talk about is that it is not helpful to obey somebody else's word from God. You can't listen to rise, take up your bed, and walk. That's not your word. But God will speak a word to you if you will listen. You have some wonderful teaching on it things to help you out with that. I hope you get a chance to uh, to listen to those. Wednesday, we're on Nehemiah chapter 5. 
And Nehemiah is going to face some different opposition to what he is trying to accomplish. So uh, you can be out here on, on that. You can listen to it online, however that you, uh, you want to get there. We have our covered dish dinner here now. If uh, Hopefully all of you can stick around. If you did make plans, great. If you did not and you can, please stick around. We'd love to have you. And we can use some help clearing out the chairs and setting up the tables so we can go on with this. This is the first one we had in a while because the last couple of ones, um, too many people were away. We ended up not having them. But this is our main point of contact after we get done with all that. We get to talk to you all about things that we're doing here so that you all are not unaware. And uh, we'd like to hear some of the things you have to say about them. So you can stick around. We aim to be done somewhere around 2, 2.15 and uh, get you all on home to do whatever else you've got to do. you got to eat anyway. You might as well eat here. Have a great rest of your night, day. Hopefully you're sticking around.